Chapter 5 Discipline Finding effective alternatives to punishment Physicians have a motto Primum non nocere which means above all do no damage Parents need a similar rule to help them remember that in the process of disciplining their children they do not damage their emotional well-being The essence of discipline is finding effective alternatives to punishment Miss Williams was about to give her first lesson in a school for delinquent boys. She was very apprehensive. As she walked briskly to her desk, she stumbled and fell. The class roared into hilarious laughter. Instead of punishing the students for laughing at her, Miss Williams rose slowly, straightened up and said, "This is my first lesson to you. A person can fall flat on her face and still rise up again." Silence. the message was received miss williams was a true disciplinarian as all parents can be when they use the force of wisdom rather than threats and punishment to affect child's or children's behavior when parents punish children they enrage them suffused with rage and absorbed in grudges they can't listen or concentrate in discipline whatever generates rage should therefore be avoided Anything that enhances self-confidence and respect for oneself and others is to be fostered. What happens when parents enrage their children? They start to hate themselves and their parents. They want to get even. They become preoccupied with revenge fantasies. When Roger, age 7, was punished and humiliated by his father, he receded into a fantasy world where he became involved with his father's funeral arrangement. Why do parents enrage children? Not because they are unkind, but unskilled. They are not aware which of their statements are destructive. They are punitive because no one has taught them how to handle a difficult situation without attacking their children. A mother related the following incident. One day her son Fred came home from school screaming as he opened the door. "I hate my teacher." She yelled at me in front of my friends. She said I disrupt the class with my talking, and then she punished me by making me stand in the hall the whole period. I'm never going back to her school. Rather, I'm never going back to school. Her son's rage unsettled his mother, and so she blurted out the first thing that came to her mind. You know very well that you have to obey the rules. You can't talk whenever you please. and when you don't listen you get punished i hope you learned your lesson after his mother's response to his upset feelings fred became enraged at her too if fred's mother had instead said the following how embarrassing to have to stand in the hall and how humiliating to be yelled at in front of your friends no wonder you are angry nobody likes to be treated that way Her sympathetic response which reflected Fred's upset feelings would have diminished his rage and made him feel understood and loved. Some parents may be concerned that by acknowledging their child's upset and providing emotional first aid, they would send a message that they were not concerned with their child's misbehavior. But as far as Fred's mother was concerned, her disruptive behavior took place in school. Rather I'm sorry his disruptive behavior took place in school 
and his teacher dealt with it what she felt her suffering son needed from her was not an additional reprimand but a sympathetic comment and an understanding heart he needed her help to get over his upset empathy a parent's ability to understand what a child is feeling is an important and valuable ingredient of child rearing recently in an electronic store the owner said to me i heard you discuss discipline and i don't agree with you he stretched out the palm of his hand this is my psychology he said proudly i asked him whether he applied the same palm method in fixing a computer a stereo or a tv set oh no he replied for that you need skill and knowledge these are complex instruments children too need parents who are skilled and knowledgeable who understand that the palm method is as pointless for them as it is for a computer it fails to achieve its goal no child says to himself or herself after being punished i'm going to improve i'm going to be more responsible more cooperative because i want to please this punishing adult discipline like surgery requires precision no random cuts no careless attacks the following common absurdity described by a mother underscores our challenge i have become aware of a personal paradox i often use tactics similar to those that i try to eradicate in my children i raise my voice to end noise i use force to break up fighting i am rude to a child who is impolite and i berate a child who uses bad language misbehavior and punishment are not opposites that cancel each other on the contrary they breed and reinforce each other punishment does not deter misconduct it makes the offender more skillful in escaping detection when children are punished they resolve to be more careful not more obedient or responsible parents uncertainty the need for better ways what is the difference between our approach and our earlier generations approach in disciplining children what our parents and grandparents did was done with authority what we do is done with hesitation even when in error they acted confidently even when in the right we seem to act with doubt where does our hesitation in relation to children come from child psychologists have warned us about the costly consequences of an unhappy childhood and we are deeply concerned that we may damage our children for life the need to be loved most parents love their children but it is important that they not have an urgent need to be loved by them every minute of the day those who need children in order to derive justification for their marriage or significance for their lives are at a disadvantage afraid of losing their ch- children's love they dare not deny anything to their children including control of the home sensing their parents hunger for love children exploit it mercilessly they become tyrants ruling over anxious servants many children have learned how to threaten their parents with the withdrawal of love they use blackmail quite bluntly saying i won't love you if the tragedy is not in the child's threat but in the fact that the parents feel threatened 
Some parents are really affected by the child's words. They cry and beg the child to continue to love them, and they try to placate the child by being overly permissive. This is destructive for both parents and children. One evening after dinner, 14-year-old Jill asked to go to her friend's house to work on a school project. When her father repeated the house rule, no going out on school nights, Jill argued that the visit wasn't social but involved homework. The father relented and Jill left, promising to be home no later than 10:30. When she did not return by 10:30, her father phoned her. "I have decided to stay all night," Jill informed him. He was furious. After an angry exchange, she was ordered home. Jill's father was unaware that by breaking his own rule, he sent his daughter a message that if rules can be broken, so can promises. The next day, Jill even bragged to her father, "I can always get you to do what I want. I can talk you into anything." This incident, a repetition of many others, puzzled her father. He couldn't understand why it was easy for him to make rules, but so difficult to enforce them. He had to agree with Jill that she could talk him into anything. Only when he realized how hurt he was when he felt rejected by Jill, how much he needed to be loved by her, was he able to say no and mean it. Permissiveness and overpermissiveness. What is permissiveness and what is overpermissiveness? Permiss- permissiveness is an attitude of accepting the childishness of children. It means accepting that children will be children, that a clean shirt on a normal child will not stay clean for long, that running rather than walking is a child's normal means of locomotion, that a tree is for climbing and a mirror is for making faces at. The essence of permissiveness is the acceptance of children as persons who have a constitutional right to have all kinds of feelings and wishes. The freedom to wish is absolute and unrestricted. All feelings and fantasies, all thoughts and wishes, all dreams and desires, regardless of content, are accepted, respected, and may be permitted expressions through appropriate means. Fish swim, birds fly, and people feel. Children cannot help how they feel, but they are responsible for the way they express these feelings. Thus they cannot be held responsible for their feelings but only for their behavior. Destructive behavior is not permitted. When it occurs, the parents intervene and redirect it into verbal outlets and other symbolic channels. Permitted symbolic outlets are painting mean pictures, running around the block, recording ill wishes on tape, composing caustic poems, writing murder mysteries, etc. In short, Permissiveness is the acceptance of imaginary and symbolic behavior. Overpermissiveness is the allowing of undesirable acts. Permissiveness and acceptance of all feelings bring confidence and an increasing capacity to express feelings and thoughts. Overpermissiveness brings anxiety and increasing demands for privileges that cannot be granted. Permit feelings but limit acts. The cornerstone of this kind of the cornerstone of this kind of discipline is the distinction between wishes, feelings and acts. We set limits on acts. We do not restrict wishes or feelings. Most discipline problems consist of two parts. 
angry feelings and angry acts. Each part has to be handled differently. Feelings have to be identified and processed. Acts may have to be limited and redirected. At times, identification of the child's feelings may in itself be sufficient to clear the air. Mother It looks as if you are angry today. Ronan I sure am. Mother You feel kind of mean inside. Ronan You said it. Mother You are angry at someone. Ronan Yes, you. Mother Why don't you tell me about it? Ronan You didn't take me to the little league game, but you took Steve. Mother That made you angry. I bet you said to yourself, she loves him more than she loves me. Ronan Yes. Mother Sometimes you really feel that way. Ronan I sure do. Mother You know dear, when you feel that way, come and tell me. At other times, limits must be set. When Margaret, age 4, wanted to cut off her cat's tail to see what's inside, her father accepted her scientific curiosity, but limited her action in no uncertain terms. I know you want to see how it looks inside, but the tail has to stay where it is. Let's see if we can find a picture to show you how it looks inside. When a mother found Ted, age 5, doodling on her living room wall, her first reaction was to pummel him. But he looked so scared that she could not bring herself to hit him. Instead, she said, No, Ted, walls are not for drawing. Paper is. Here are three sheets of paper. And his mother started cleaning up the wall. Ted was so overwhelmed that he said, I love you, mommy. Contrast this to the handling of a similar smearing in other house. What are you doing? What's the matter with you? Don't you know that you aren't supposed to dirty walls? I just don't know what to do with you. Helpful and unhelpful approaches to discipline There is a vast difference between unhelpful and helpful approaches to discipline. In disciplining children, parents sometimes stop undesirable acts but ignore the urges that bring about the acts. The restrictions are set in the midst of angry argument and are often incoherent, inconsistent and insulting. Furthermore, discipline is administered at a time when children are least able to listen and in words that are most likely to arouse resistance. More often than not, children are left with the dooming impression that not just their specific acts have been criticized but that they are no good as persons. In helpful approaches, when we discipline our children, we concentrate on helping them with both their conduct and their feelings. Parents allow children to speak up, to speak out about what they feel, but limit and direct undesirable acts. The limits are set in a manner that preserves the self-respect of the parents as well as of the children. The limits are neither arbitrary nor capricious, but educational and character building. The restrictions are applied without violence or excessive anger. Children's resentment of the restrictions is anticipated and understood. They are not punished additionally for, res for resenting the prohibitions. Discipline thus employed may lead to voluntary acceptance by children of the need to inhibit and change some behavior. In this sense, parental discipline may eventually lead to self-discipline. By identifying with the parents and the values they personify, 
children attain inner standards for self regulation three zones of discipline encouraged allowed and forbidden children need a clear definition of acceptable and unacceptable conduct they feel more secure when they know the borders of permissible action we think of children's behavior as falling into three different areas the first consists of behavior that is wanted and sanctioned the area where our yes is given freely and graciously the second includes behavior that is not sanctioned but is tolerated for specific reasons such reasons may include one leeway for learners a driver with a learner's permit is not given a ticket when he signals right and turns left such mistakes are tolerated for the sake of expected future improvements two leeway for hard times special stress situations accidents illness moving into a new neighborhood separation from friends death or divorce in the family call for additional leeway we grant it because of our appreciation of hard times and new adjustments we do not pretend that we like this behavior in fact our attitudes tell that this conduct is tolerated only because of exceptional circumstances the third covers conduct that cannot be tolerated at all and must be stopped it includes behavior that endangers the health and welfare of the family or its physical and financial well-being it also includes behavior forbidden for reason of law ethics or social acceptability it is as important to be prohibitive in the third area as it is to be permissive in the first one child thought that her father did not have the right standards because he allowed her to hang out late at night another boy lost respect for his parents because they did not stop the wild play of his friends who almost demolished his workshop young children have genuine difficulty in coping with their social socially unacceptable impulses the parents must be an ally in the child's struggle for control of such impulses by setting limits the parent offers help to the child besides stopping dangerous conduct the limit also conveys a silent message you don't have to be afraid of your impulses i won't let you go too far it is safe techniques for setting limits in the setting of limits as in all education the product depends on the process a limit should be so stated that it tells the child clearly a what constitutes unacceptable conduct b what substitute will be accepted you may not throw dishes you may throw pillows or in less grammatical but more effective english dishes are not for throwing pillows are for throwing your brother is not for pushing your scooter is for pushing it is preferable that a limit be total rather than partial there is a clear distinction for example between splashing water and not splashing water on your sister a limit that stays that states you may splash her a little as long as you don't get her too wet is inviting a deluge of trouble such a vague statement leaves the child without a clear basis for making decisions a limit must be stated firmly so that it carries only one message to the child this prohibition is for real i mean business 
when parents are not sure of what to do it is best that they do nothing but think and clarify their own attitudes in setting limits the parent who equivocates is lost in endless arguments restrictions invoked haltingly and clumsily become a challenge to children and evoke a battle of wills which no one can win a limit must be stated in a manner that is deliberately calculated to minimize resentment and to save self-respect the very process of limit setting of saying no should convey authority not insult it should deal with a specific event not with a developmental developmental history the following is an illustration of an undesirable practice 8 year old annie went with her mother to the department store while her mother shopped annie roamed around the toy counter and selected three toys when her mother came back annie asked confidently which toys can i take home the mother who had just spent too much money on a dress she was not sure she really wanted blurted out more toys you have more toys than you know what to do with everything you see you want it's time you learn to curb your appetite a minute later the mother realizing the source of her sudden anger tried to placate her daughter and to bribe her with ice cream but the sorrowful look remained on annie's face When a child requests something that we must deny, we can at least grant her the satisfaction of having the wish for it. Grant her at least in fantasy what we cannot satisfy in reality. It is a less hurtful way of saying no. Thus Annie's mother might have said, "You wish you could take some toys home." Annie, can I? Mother, what do you think? Annie, I guess not. Why not? I really want a toy. Mother, but you can have a balloon or some ice cream. You choose which you would rather have. Perhaps Annie would make her choice or perhaps Annie would cry. In either case, the mother would stick to her decision and to the offered choices. She may again show her understanding by mirroring her daughter's desire for toys, but the limit would be upheld. You wish you could have at least one of the toys. You want it very much. Your crying tells me how much you want that toy. How I wish I could afford to buy it for you today. When a daughter announces that she doesn't want to go to school, instead of insisting, "You have to go to school. Every child has to go to school. It's the law. I don't want any truant officer coming to our house." A more caring response would at least grant the wish in fantasy. How you wish you didn't have to school. go to school today you wish instead of monday it would be saturday and you could go and play with your friends you wish you could at least sleep some more i know what would you like for breakfast why is granting in fantasy less hurtful than flat denial because the parent's detailed response shows that she understands how her daughter feels when we are understood we feel loved How would you feel if you were admiring an expensive beautiful dress in the window of an elegant boutique and your beloved looked at you and said what is the matter with you what are you looking at you know we have financial problems there is no way we'll ever be able to afford something expensive like that your beloved's remarks are unlikely to generate loving feelings they would only make you feel angry and depressed 
But what if he had acknowledged your wish and said, Oh honey, how I wish we could afford that beautiful dress. I can see it on you with the right jewelry and a velvet cape. How, how beautiful you would look. I would be so proud to be your escort at even the most glamorous party. Neither response, unfortunately, gets you the dress. But the second response, at least, does not inflict hurt, does not cause resentment, and is thus more likely to strengthen loving feelings. Many years ago, I visited an elementary school in an Inuit village in Alaska, where I entertained the children by playing the harmonica. When I finished, a child came up to me and said, I want your harmonica. I could have answered, no, I can't give you the harmonica. It's the only one I have and I need it. Besides, my brother gave it to me. The child would have felt rejected and the happy festive mood would have been ruined. Instead, I granted in fantasy what I could not give in reality by saying, how I wish I had a harmonica to give you. Another child then came up with the same request and so I answered, how I wish I had two harmonicas to give away. Eventually, all 26 children came up and I just added the numbers ending with how I wish I had 26 harmonicas, one for each of you. It became a game that the children seemed to enjoy. After I described this incident in my newspaper column, a magazine editor wrote, Now, when I have to reject an article, I start with how we wish we could publish your article. Different ways of phrasing specific limits. There are ways to express limits that stir resistance and other ways that invite cooperation. It is as follows. 1. The parent recognizes the child's wish and puts it in simple words. You wish you could go to the movies tonight. 2. The parent states clearly the limits on a specific act, but the rule in our house is no movies on school nights. 3. The parent points out ways in which the wish can be at least partially fulfilled. You may go to the movies on Friday or Saturday night. 4. The parent helps the child to express some of the resentment that is likely to arise when restrictions are imposed and then sympathizes. It is obvious that you don't like the rule. You wish there weren't such a rule. You wish the rule said every night is movie night. When you grow up and have your own home, you're sure going to change this rule. It's not always necessary or feasible to phrase the limit in this pattern. At times, it's necessary to state the limit first and mirror feelings later. When a child is about to throw a stone at his sister, his mother should say, not at her, at a tree. She will do well to deflect the child by pointing in the direction of the tree. She can then get at the feelings and suggest some harmless ways of expressing them. You may be as angry as you want at your sister. You may be furious. Inside yourself, you may hate her, but there will be no hurting. If you want to, you may throw stones at the tree. If you want to, you may tell or show me how, hang- how angry you are. Limits should be phrased in a language that does not challenge the child's self-respect. 
limits are heeded better when stated succinctly and impersonally. No movies on school nights arouses less resentment than you know you can't go to the movies on school nights. It's bedtime is more readily accepted than you're too young to stay up that late, go to bed. Time is up for TV today is better than you have watched enough TV today, turn off the set. No shouting at each other is obeyed more willingly than you better stop shouting at him. Limits are accepted more willingly when they point out the function of an object. The chair is for sitting, not for standing. It's better than don't stand on the chair. The blocks are for playing, not for throwing. It's better than either don't throw blocks or I am sorry, I can't let you throw blocks. It is too dangerous. Children need healthy outlets for their energy. Many discipline problems with young children arise over restraint of physical activities. For example, don't run, can't you walk like a normal child? Don't jump all over. Sit up straight. Why must you stand on one foot when you know you have two feet? You'll fall and break a leg. Children's motor activities should not be over restrained. For the sake of both mental and physical health, children need to run, jump, climb, skip, etc. Concern for the health of the furniture is understandable, but it must not supersede concern for the health of the children. Inhibition of physical activity in young children results in emotional tension, which may be expressed in aggression. Arranging a suitable environment for direct discharge of energy in muscular activities is a prime but frequently overlooked condition for good discipline in children and for an easier life for parents. Children need active play. There are many opportunities for children's physical activities. Playing ball, jumping rope, running, swimming, ice skating, playing baseball, doing gymnastics, rollerblading, bicycling. Schools have become more aware of the need for children to be physically active and thus offer organized sports during and after school and a serious physical educational program. Clear Enforcement of Discipline When a parent's feelings about a restriction are crystal clear and the restriction is phrased in inoffensive language, a child will usually confirm. Yet from time to time, a child will break a rule. The question is, what is to be done when a child transgresses a stated restriction? The educational process requires that the parent adhere to the role of a kindly but firm adult. In reacting to a child who violates a limit, the parent must not become argumentative and verbose. The parent must not be drawn into a discussion about the fairness or unfairness of the limit. Neither should the mom or dad give a long explanation for it. It is unnecessary to explain to a child why he must not hit his sister, beyond saying that people are not for hurting, or why she must not break the window, beyond saying that windows are not for breaking. When a child exceeds a limit, the child's anxiety mounts because he or she expects retaliation and punishment. 
the parent does not need to increase the child's anxiety at this time. If parents talk too much, they convey weakness at a time when they must convey strength. It is at times like this that the child needs an adult ally to help control impulses without loss of face. The following example illustrates an unhelpful approach to limits. Mother, I see that you won't be satisfied until you hear me yelling. Okay? Loudly and shrilly. Stop it or you'll be sorry. If you throw one more thing, I'll do something drastic. Instead of using threats and promises, this mother could have expressed her very real anger more effectively. It makes me mad to see that. It makes me angry. I feel furious. These things are not for throwing. The ball is for throwing. In enforcing the limit, a parent must be careful not to initiate a battle of wills. In this example, 5-year-old Margaret and her father are enjoying an afternoon in the park. Margaret at the playground. I like it here. I'm not going home now. I'm going to stay another hour. Father, you say you are, but I say you're not. Such a statement may lead to one of two results, both of them undesirable. Defeat for the child or defeat for the father. A better approach is to focus on the child's desire to stay in the playground rather than on her threat to defy authority. For instance, the father could have said, "I see that you like it here. I suppose you wish you could stay much longer, even 10 hours. It's time to go home." If after a minute or two, Margaret is still persistent, her father may take her by the hand or pick her up. and lead her out of the playground with young children action frequently speaks louder than words parents are not for hitting children should never be allowed to hit their parents such physical attacks are harmful for both children and parents it makes children feel anxious and afraid of retaliation it makes parents feel angry and hateful the prohibition against hitting is necessary to spare children guilt and anxiety and to enable the parents to remain emotionally hospitable to their children from time to time one witnesses degrading scenes in which a parent to escape say from being kicked in the shin suggests to the child that he hit her on the hand instead to hit her on the hand instead you may hit me a little but you mustn't really hurt me begged a 30-year-old mother of a 4-year-old child stretching her arm out in his direction one is tempted to intervene and say don't do it lady it is harmful to the child to let him strike his parent the mother should have stopped the child's attack immediately no hitting i can never let you do that or if you are angry tell it to me in words The limit against hitting a parent should not be modified under any circumstances. Effective upbringing is based on mutual respect between parent and child without the parents abdicating the adult role. In telling a child to hit but not hurt, the mother is asking a small child to make too fine a distinction. The child is irresistibly challenged to test out the prohibition and to find out the difference between hitting playfully and hurting seriously 
children are not for hitting spanking though in bad repute is still practiced by some parents it is usually applied to child rearing as a last resort after the more conventional weapons of threats and reasoning have failed frequently it is not planned but occurs in a burst of anger when parents have reached the end of their endurance for the moment spanking seems to work it relieves pent up tension in the parent and makes the child obey at least for a while and as some parents say it clears the air if spanking is so effective why do we have such uneasy feelings about it somehow we cannot silence our inner doubts about the long term effects of physical punishment we are a little embarrassed by the use of force and we keep saying to ourselves there ought to be a better way of solving problems what if you lose your temper and hit a child most parents do sometimes there are times when i get so furious with my son i feel like murder one mother said when my choice is between killing and smacking i smack when i calm down i tell my son i'm only human i can take that much and no more i hit you but it's against my values when i am pushed beyond the brink of my endurance i do things i don't like so don't push me hitting children should be as unacceptable as car accidents are yet car accidents do happen but a driver's license does not give advance permission for car accidents it does not state you are sure to have some car accidents so don't drive carefully on the contrary we are admonished to drive carefully neither should hitting children be a prescribed method for disciplining them even though accidental hitting cannot always be avoided it's almost impossible to bring up children without hitting them from time to time but we don't have to plan for it we should not consider physical punishment as a response to our children's provocation or our own irritation why not because of the lesson it demonstrates it teaches children undesirable methods of dealing with frustration it dramatically tells them when you are angry or frustrated don't look for solutions hit that's what your parents do instead of displaying our ingenuity by finding civilized outlets for savage feelings we give our children not only a taste of the jungle but also permission to hit most parents get upset when they witness their older children hitting their younger siblings unaware that when they spank their smaller children they give the older children permission to do the same a 6 foot father saw his 8 year old son hit his 4 year old sister he became enraged and started spanking his son while admonishing him this will teach you not to hit anyone smaller than you one evening 7 year old jill and her father were watching television Jill was sucking her fingers emitting disconcerting sounds. Her father was annoyed and said, "Please stop. I find your sucking noises disturbing." Nothing happened. He repeated his request. Still nothing happened. After the fourth time, he became furious and hit Jill. She started to cry and hit her father. This made her father even angrier. "How dare you hit your father?" he shouted. "Go to your room immediately." When she refused he carried her upstairs. She continued to cry while the television blared and no one watched. Jill could not understand why it was permissible for a big man to hit a little girl but forbidden for her to hit someone bigger than she. 
This episode left her with the distinct impression that you can only hit someone smaller and get away with it. Jill's father could have used a more effective way of winning his daughter's cooperation than hitting. Instead of waiting until he could no longer control his anger, he could have said to his daughter, Jill, you have a choice. You can stay here and stop sucking your fingers or you can leave the room and continue to enjoy sucking your fingers. You decide. One of the worst side effects of physical punishment is that it may interfere with the development of a child's conscience. Spanking relieves guilt too easily. The child having paid for the misbehavior feels free to repeat it. Children develop what may be called a bookkeeping or I'm sorry, a bookkeeping approach to misconduct. It permits them to misbehave and thus go into debt on one side of the ledger and pay off in weekly or monthly spanking installments. Periodically, they provoke a spanking by egging on their parents. Sometimes they just ask for punishment or punish themselves. Marcy, age four, was brought for consultation. She was pulling her hair out in her sleep. Her mother revealed that when she became angry at her daughter, she would threaten, I'm so mad at you that I feel like pulling out all your hair. Marcy, who must have felt that she was bad enough to deserve such cruel punishment, obliged her mother in her sleep. A child who asks for punishment needs help with managing guilt and anger, not compliance with the request. This is not an easy task. In some situations, guilt and anger can be reduced by discussing the misdeeds openly. When the child is given better ways of expressing guilt and anger, and when parents learn better ways of setting and enforcing limits, the need for physical punishment is diminished. By showing sympathetic understanding for our children's many feelings, we prepare them to become emotionally intelligent. By respectfully setting and enforcing limits on their unacceptable acts, we prepare them to honor the rules of the social world.